So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the first step that I can take, the first step that you can take, the first step that we all can take to grow closer to God. And we've seen over the last few weeks that the first step that we can all take to grow closer in our relationship with God is to worship God. And I know, I've known from the beginning of this series of sermons, that when I say that, that's a little bit of a dangerous thing for me to say, that the first step that we can all take to grow closer to God is to worship God, because there are plenty of us that sit inside of this sanctuary this morning that feel like we've already got that step completely covered. I mean, after all, you came out on a downpouring, nasty, ugly, rainy day today, and you were sitting inside of a worship service. So if the first step to growing closer to God is to worship God, well, you're at a worship service, so you must have it covered, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. Because worship isn't something that we just do for one hour a week on a Sunday morning, come rain or come shine. Worship, worship is what we do when we recognize that God is reaching out for us. Worship is what we do whenever we recognize that God is reaching out for us. And God is reaching out for you for way more than one hour a week when you're sitting inside of this building on a Sunday morning. God is constantly reaching out for you. God is constantly reaching into your life. We just need to do a lot better job of recognizing how God is reaching into our lives. And when you recognize, when you realize that God is reaching into your life, there are going to be certain ways that you want to respond. There are certain aspects that go along with worship. Things that you want to do, things that you need to do, things that you feel compelled to do along the way. And that's what we've been focused in on over the last three weeks. We've been talking about these different aspects of worship. And the first thing that you're going to want to do when you recognize that God is reaching out into your lives is you are going to want to praise God. And you're going to want to praise God because this is God. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you. And God is reaching out for you. Even though God isn't required to do it. God doesn't have to reach out into your life. God doesn't have to reach out into my life. God doesn't have to reach out into any of our lives. God chooses to reach out into our lives time and time again, and God is worthy of being praised and celebrated because God does this even though he doesn't have to. So when we praise God, we should be excited about the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including us, is reaching out for us. But i got to tell you, I've stood in the pulpit a lot of years. Ten years I've been in full-time ministry now. I have, I've stood on this stage for a lot of worship services in my time in ministry. And i got to tell you, most of us don't look very excited when we come into these worship services to be celebrating the way that God has been reaching out into our lives. Most of the time we look like somebody just stole our puppy when we walk into church. Not like the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them has been reaching out into our lives this week. So when we praise God, we need to be excited about what God is doing. You know what that means? It means you need to smile. Can you show me a smile? I should take a picture. That's the first time I've seen somebody who got smile. We need to laugh. We need to cry. We need to dance. We need to celebrate. We need to let go of everything that keeps us from entering into God's presence to worship God. So when we worship God, the first thing that we need to do is we need to praise God. But worship doesn't stop at just praising God. There is more to worship than that. The second thing that worship includes is that we are going to want to enter into God's presence. 
we are going to want to be with God because God is reaching out into our lives. You can think about it this way. You, this morning, you can, you can listen to this sermon, and you can go home, you can leave this place feeling like this is the greatest sermon you have ever heard in your entire life. I'm not holding my breath, but it's possible. You could go from this place feeling that. And you could go home, and you could have a big smile on your face when you're thinking about what happens during this sermon. You can dance around, you can sing, you can celebrate, you can clap your hands, you can have a great time praising just how wonderful this sermon is. But do you know what that means to me? If you go home and you celebrate this sermon all by yourself in your house, it means absolutely nothing to me because I have no idea that you're excited about what you heard, that what you heard has touched your life. So if you want it to mean something to me, what do you have to do? You have to be in my presence. You have to tell me about what is going on, about how much you enjoyed the sermon. And if that's true for me as a lowly human being, it's also true for God. If we want to celebrate God, if we want to praise God, we have to be in God's presence, which isn't always an easy thing for us to do, but it's something that we have to do to truly worship God. But worship doesn't stop at just praising God and entering into God's presence. There's another part of worship that's not quite as much fun to talk about that. And the third aspect of worship is worship should lead us to penance. But what in the world is penance? Well, penance is one of those old-school church words that we don't use anymore, but basically what penance means is that we recognize that our priorities aren't matching, aren't lining up with God's priorities, and then we do something to change our priorities to match God's priorities. So worship should lead us to recognize where our priorities aren't lining up with God's priorities and force us to do something to change ourselves along the way. But that's not easy to do either. That requires introspection. That requires reflection. That requires us taking a long, hard look at ourselves and seeing where our priorities don't match God's priorities. And we know, we talked about this just last week, what God's priorities are. God wants God to come first, other people to come second, and for you to come last. Those are God's priorities. God comes first, other people come second, you come last. And if you don't come last, if you are constantly coming in first in your life, that means that God is always coming in last in your life. You can't grow closer to God if God is always coming in last in your life. So you have to change your priorities to line up with God's priorities. Put God first. Put other people second. Put yourself last. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you've heard all of this stuff before. We've talked about this for the last several weeks, so you're probably wondering this morning, I've heard all of this stuff before. You've talked about this the last few weeks. Why are you still talking about it this morning? Well, there's a reason why we're still talking about this this morning. It's because if you want to take your next step to grow closer to God, if you want to take your next step to grow closer to God, you can't just hear what worship is. If you want to take your next step to grow closer to God, you can't just know what worship involves. If you want to take your next step to grow closer to God, you actually have to do worship. You have to recognize God is reaching out for you. You have to praise God for the way God is moving in your life. You have to constantly seek out ways that you can enter into God's presence, and you have to constantly be looking for places where your priorities don't match God's priorities. Do something to change that. But when we hear what worship 
involves being in God's presence, focusing on God's priorities, praising God. I'm afraid that most of us like to put on our rose-colored glasses, and we like to think that we have got this worship thing completely covered. We may be sitting here this morning, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I don't need to hear this. I'm sure there's somebody else sitting here in the sanctuary this morning who needs to be reminded how important worship is, but I've got this covered. I couldn't do a better job of worshiping God if I tried. I show up every single Sunday morning, rain or shine. I listen to the sermon, no matter how boring it is. I sing songs even when I don't know the words to it. I have worship completely covered. But when you put on those rose-colored glasses and you think you've got it completely figured out and you've got it mastered, you never take the time to check yourself. You never take the time to stop and examine what is actually happening in your life. You never stop and reflect on how you're doing when it comes to worshiping God. And this lack of introspection that all of us have from time to time, it reminds me of the story of a specific church that we find inside of the Bible. It's the story of the church in the ancient city of Corinth. And we actually hear about the beginning of this church in the book of Acts. And Acts is It's kind of a history book inside of the New Testament. It tells us how our faith in Jesus grew and spread in the decades after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we find in Acts chapter 18 the story of how the church in the ancient city of Corinth is founded. So let me just read that story for you. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. He had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul visited with them, and because they practiced the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked with them, and they all worked with leather together. Every Sabbath, Paul interacted with the people in the synagogue, trying to convince both Jews and Greeks of his faith. Once Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself himself fully to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. When they opposed him, they slandered him. He shook the dust off his clothes in protest, and he said to them, you're responsible for your own fates. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. So Paul left the synagogues, and he went next door to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile God-worshipper. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household came to believe in the Lord, and many Corinthians believed, and they were baptized after listening to Paul. One night, God said to Paul in a vision, Don't be afraid. Continue speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you, and no one who attacks you will harm you, for I have many people in the city of Corinth. So Paul stayed there for 18 months, teaching God's word among them. Now, in those few verses of Scripture, you just heard a whole bunch of names, and you probably didn't recognize most of those names that you just heard. And I know that you probably didn't recognize most of those names that you just heard because I don't recognize most of those names that I just read to you, okay? So a lot that's going on here. So the big thing that you need to realize is that Paul, Paul who was once the great persecutor of all Christians, who becomes the greatest proponent of our faith, is the one who formed this church in the ancient city of Corinth. Paul is the one who started this church in the ancient city of Corinth. So Paul Paul feels responsible for this church because he's the one that started this church. And word will come to Paul later on that things aren't going well in the church in Corinth. There's a lot of infighting that's happening inside of the church in this town. So Paul, feeling responsible for the church in Corinth, he's going to reach back out to them and try to help them navigate their problems. That's where the book of 1 Corinthians in our Bible comes from. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth to help them deal with the problems that they're facing. 
But here's the interesting thing about it. 1 Corinthians, it's inside of our Bible, so we take it as authoritative. We take it to be meaningful and special. But the church in Corinth, the people that were there, they didn't actually like it. The people in Corinth completely ignored everything that Paul said to them. They rejected all of the teachings that Paul presented to them, and they rebelled against Paul's authority. So they basically took that chunk that we have in the Bible, and they threw it out the window, wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. But why would they do that? Why would they reject Paul when Paul is the one who started their church? Why would they rebel against his authority when they wouldn't even be a church if Paul hadn't shown up in Corinth to start the church? Well, when Paul leaves Corinth to continue on in his church-planting mission throughout the ancient world, there are some other preachers who come to town not long after Paul. And these are the big names in preaching in the ancient world. These people, they are well-respected. These people are, are, are well-received wherever they go. They're well-off. They're successful in their ministry. They preach amazing sermons along the way. But Paul doesn't have any of that. Paul doesn't have any of that. He's not well-off. He's not successful. He's nobody. Paul in his life was constantly poor. He worked just enough to make just enough money to fund the ministry that he wanted to undertake. So he was constantly poor. Because of his ministry, Paul was constantly wandering from one town to the next, basically living as homeless. And when he wasn't homeless in his life, he was in prison. Nobody wants to be in prison. And Paul was constantly being persecuted because, like I said earlier, he was once the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith, and then he converts to Christianity, becoming the greatest proponent of it. And the folks he used to work for didn't like it very much. So they were constantly persecuting him. So the church in Corinth, the members of that church, looked at Paul, and they saw everything that they did not want to be. They saw somebody who was poor, who was persecuted, who lived a life that was filled with pain and suffering, and then they looked over and they saw these new preachers who were well off, who were successful, who were amazing communicators, and Paul wasn't such a great communicator. And they said, we want to be like these preachers, so we're going to reject everything that Paul told us because if we listen to these guys, we'll be like these guys. But if we listen to Paul, then we're going to be like Paul. So how does Paul respond when he gets the word that this church that he started is now rebelling against him and rejecting his authority? Well, Paul grunts, he groans, he becomes passive-aggressive. Eventually he says, I'm taking my ball, Corinthian church, and I'm going home, and you guys can figure all of this out for yourselves, right? That's what Paul does. No, that's what I would have done if I was Paul, okay? Mean to me, that's how I tend to behave, okay? But not Paul. Paul is a well-rounded human being. Paul takes the high ground inside of it, and Paul addresses this issue head-on. In the book, of first, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, we learn that somewhere between the letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a trip back to the city of Corinth, and he visits with the church that is there in what Paul calls the painful visit. And it is a painful visit because Paul has to sit down with these people who have rebelled against him and rejected his authority and speak truth to them, to help them see the errors of their way, to bring them back to the gospel that Paul had proclaimed from the beginning. And this painful visit, well, it mostly works. It mostly works 
But it doesn't convince everyone in the church in Corinth to straighten up and to return to the good news that Paul had been proclaiming to them. So there's still people in the city of Corinth, in the church in Corinth, who continue to reject Paul and his teachings because Paul is still not living up to the standards that they have set for him. So Paul makes one last appeal to them in the closing chapter, the closing section of his last letter to the church in Corinth. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, whether it's a printed one or an app on your phone, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And this is Paul's final appeal to the people that are continuing to reject him. Paul writes, This is the third time that I'm coming to visit you. Every matter is settled on the evidence of two or three witnesses. When I was with you on my second visit, I already warned those who continued to sin. Now I'm repeating that warning to all of the rest of you while I'm at a safe distance. If I come again, I won't spare any of you. Since you are demanding proof that Christ speaks through me, Christ isn't weak in dealing with you, but shows his power among you. Certainly, he was crucified because of his weakness, but he lives by the power, the strength of God. Certainly, we also are weak in him, but we will live together with him because of God's power that is directed toward you. So I just want to stop right here for a minute and make sure you catch what Paul is saying. Paul is, again, he's responding to these people that are continuing to reject him and his authority as a preacher of the gospel. So Paul is coming to them and he's saying to them, listen, I know what you're saying about me. I know why you're rejecting me, why you're rebelling against me. And you're doing this because you look at me and you think that I'm not truly following Jesus. You think I'm not following Jesus because my life is filled with weaknesses. There's pain in my life, there's suffering in my life, there's persecution in my life. So you think that because I have all of this happening, that God cannot really be using me. But here's the thing. God uses weakness to show God's true strength. And Paul says, just look at Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth. He walks among us. He lives his life experiences, all that there is to be human. And he ultimately lays down his life for us. He is crucified. In the ultimate act of weakness, he is hung on a cross like a common criminal. But it's through that weakness that God shows how great his power is when God raises Jesus from the dead. So Paul says to that church in Corinth, he says, you can look at me and you can say, my weakness is proof that I am not following Jesus, but I look back at you and I say, my weakness is absolute proof that I am following Jesus. Now let's look. In verse 5, we're going to see Paul's last appeal. One last chance for the people to be introspective. That's what he writes. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you understand that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. What Paul is saying is after he has been questioned, after he has been criticized, after he has been rejected and rebelled against, he comes back to the people, 
and he flips the whole question on them. He says, you've questioned my faith, you've questioned my integrity, you've criticized me, you've rebelled against me, you've rejected me, but when was the last time you took a hard look at yourself? When was the last time you examined yourself to see if you were in the faith? Because here's the truth of the matter. We're a whole lot better at criticizing other people than we are about critiquing and criticizing ourselves. Jesus has a great way of putting this inside of the Gospels. Jesus, God made human, says that we do. Why, why is it that we see the speck in our neighbor's eye, but we don't notice the log that is sticking out of our own eye? We do a great job seeing the flaws in somebody else, but we don't see the log sticking out of our own eye. So when was the last time that you noticed that log in your eye? When was the last time that you examined yourself to see if your relationship with Jesus is on the right track? I'm afraid that for most of us, it's been a while because we like to put on those rose-colored glasses. We like to think that everything is perfect, that everything is running smoothly. We assume that everything is all right and that we are on the right track. But here's the thing. You can't just assume that you're on the right track with God. You have to make sure that you are. So you have to test yourself. You have to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. You have to ask how you're really doing when it comes to worshiping Jesus. Because worship is the foundation of our relationship with Him. And if the foundation of our relationship with God is shaky, then we're headed for major trouble. So let's get it right. Let's get that foundation right. So how are you doing when it comes to worshiping God? How are you doing when it comes to recognizing that God is reaching out for you? Do you see God's hands at work in your life? If not, what can you do about it? What's your plan to make it right? How are you doing when it comes to praising God? How do you do when it comes to praising God in your life? How do you do? Do you just go through the motions of praising God? Oh, I know I'm supposed to be thankful, so let me just say thanks, God. Do you only praise God when you come inside of a church for worship services? Do you praise God regularly throughout the week? If you struggle to praise God, if you struggle to really celebrate what God is doing in your life consistently, then what can you do about it? What's your plan? When it comes to being in God's presence, how are you doing? Do you find time each day where you can just be still and enter into God's presence? Do you manage to find a little bit of quiet time each week? Do you even remember the last time that you intentionally slowed down to try to be with God. If you struggle to be in God's presence, what can you do about it? What's your plan? What about penance? How good of a job do you do about recognizing where your priorities aren't lining up with God's priorities? Do you ever actually do anything to change your life so that you better reflect who God is and what matters most to God? If your life isn't being transformed by God, what can you do about it? What's your plan? 
And I'm not asking any of these questions because I'm trying to hurt your feelings or because I want to step on your toes this morning. I did that last week. I'm over it. I'm asking you these questions because I believe that at least part of the reason why you're here is because you want to take the next step to grow closer to God. And if you want to grow closer to God, I know you can do it. I know that you can take the steps that you need to take to grow closer to God, and even more important than the fact that I know it, God knows that you can do what you need to do to grow closer to Him. But you won't take that next step toward Christ by accident. You have to be intentional about it. You won't take your next step toward Christ by accident. You have to be intentional about it. You're not just going to stumble upon upon it and say, oh, I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been before in my entire life. I don't know how I did it. Just tripped at the right point. That's not how it works. You have to be intentional. And that means that you have to think about how you're doing. How are you doing when it comes to worshiping God? How are you doing when it comes to praising God? How are you doing when it comes to being in God's presence? How are you doing when it comes to making sure your priorities match God's priorities? Now here's the thing. I don't want you just listening this morning. I don't want you just leaving this place knowing these questions to ask. I want you to really sincerely ask these questions of yourself. And I don't just want you to do that this week. I want you to do this every week. To find time in your life, set a date on your calendar and say every Monday morning at 10 o'clock or every Thursday night at 8 or whatever it is that works in your schedule to sincerely look at your life. Because you're never going to change your life by accident. You have to be intentional about it. And ask those questions. God, how am I doing when it comes to worshiping you? God, am I seeing all the ways that you're at work in my life? God, how am I doing when it comes to praising you? Am I really celebrating what you're doing or am I still letting things stand between you and I? God, how am I doing when it comes to being in your presence? I feel like it's been a while. God, maybe you can help me find some time to be with you. God, how am I doing about matching my priorities toward you instead of working things the other way around and trying to make you match what I think is important? Take time. Ask these questions. See where you're struggling. And make a plan to push past those struggles. So take the time this week, and next week, and the next week, and examine yourself. See where you're at. See how you're doing. Make your plans. Take your next step toward Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we come into this place, many of us, week after week. We sit and we listen to sermons that are preached week after week. God, a lot of the times we leave them in the pews when we walk out of this place. We don't take the message with us to think about, to reflect about, to see how we're doing when it comes to our relationship with you. God, we're never going to grow closer to you if we always leave what we learn behind. So God, my prayer for everyone who can hear my voice today is that you help us to carry this message with us, to constantly examine ourselves and see how we're really doing when it comes to our relationship with you, how we're really doing when it comes to worshiping you. God, open our eyes. Show us where we're struggling and help us make a plan to push past those struggles. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.